0: Tonight, congregation will be reading from Romans 1, verses 1 through 17 in your pew Bible. You can find this on page 1,293. We'll be focusing somewhat topically upon Romans 1, 16 and 17. We break from our exposition of the Heidelberg Catechism. We do so in recognition of the historical commemoration of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th and then on into the 17th century. According to my records, last year uh, we dealt with two of the five so-called solas or alones of the Protestant Reformation, Scripture alone, that is, Scripture is normative, authoritative for our doctrine and for our life. We also believe, uh, looked at Christ alone, that He is the one and only mediator, the eternal Son of God who in the fullness of time took our human nature unto Himself so that He is two natures in one person. And that He went through the steps of humiliation and exaltation to accomplish all that was necessary for us and for our salvation. And so this evening we thought it fitting to consider the third sola, or a third sola, faith alone, the instrument by which we receive the benefits of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings of salvation. So we read from Romans 1, beginning at verse 1, continuing through verse 17. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established that it is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I may have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith." Now thus far this evening, now we're reading from the Word of God. Our congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, imagine for a moment that someone stopped you on the sidewalk of your life this week and asked you straight up, tell me what is the gospel, what would you say? Where would you begin? What is the gospel? No doubt a variety of definitions and descriptions could be given, but among one of them is that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Power of God Unto Salvation. It's not my intention this evening to lecture on history, uh, but allow us just simply to say that during the Middle Ages, that truth had been eclipsed uh, by the entire structure that the Roman Catholic Church had built, in part with all sorts of intermediaries. The person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ had been eclipsed, And the good news of the gospel had been lost. But thanks be to God who always has his purposes and who always accomplishes those purposes, the gospel as the power of God unto salvation was rediscovered uh, through the work of men such as Martin Luther, John Calvin, and all sorts of other individuals who were driven by the Holy Spirit to go back to the Word of God again and to shed the shackles of traditionalism that they had also been raised in, of Roman Catholic traditionalism. And with the sole normative for doctrine and for life being the Word of God, these men poured their studies into the Word of God, and were blessed in their studies. They were not men who were always studying but who never came to a knowledge of the truth, but they were rather men who in studying came to a rediscovery of the truth that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Fast forward approximately 500 years, 550 years, and we find ourselves in a time in which I believe many also within the broader church have lost confidence in the Word of God and have lost an understanding of what the gospel is, that it is the power of God unto salvation. And my prayer, my burden, is that I myself and that we together as a congregation, beginning with the leadership making its way all the way down to the smallest child who is a member of this congregation by virtue of baptism, would come to know with greater depth and greater clarity the truth that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that we would come to know that, yes, in our minds, but in our hearts. That we would come to know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and that that knowledge would then produce within us a fervor and a zeal and a sense of excitement that might even become contagious within our communities. So much so that individuals might perhaps observe and say, something has happened. A reformation. Because we identify ourselves as reformed church, and uh, even the high school or elementary school grammarians will note that reformed is in the past tense. we don't want to give the impression and i think sometimes we have this impression that reformed is just something in the past that we are reformed because of something that our forefathers did now that is true but that's not all of the truth the reformed forefathers emphasized that the church must always be reforming in the present tense. And there's a very real danger that we, so to speak, rest on the couch of presumption and maybe even pull at the lapels of our suit jackets and say, yes, we are reformed. And lose the understanding that because we are reformed, we need to always be reforming. Reforming according to what? reforming according to the Word of God in our personal lives, in our family lives, and in our congregational lives. And one of the key aspects to always being reforming is to understand the nature of faith, what it is, also its importance, and that's what we want to try with God's help to consider this evening, faith alone. As we do so, we'll unpack this theme by noticing, first of all, the importance of faith, and then secondly, the nature of faith, and then thirdly, the benefit of faith. So faith alone, its importance, its nature, and its benefit. And we begin looking somewhat specifically at the text before us, but then, as we mentioned in the introduction, we'll branch out to a more topical consideration of faith. So the importance of faith, if we look, for example, in Romans 1, uh, verse 17, a text that was used in God's providence powerfully in the life of Martin Luther and, and many, many other Reformers. The Apostle Paul states there in verse 16, "'For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes.'" So the importance of faith is seen in relation to the power of God to salvation. But notice what Paul says. And perhaps you remember that we chose this text for our inaugural sermon a big year ago. The Apostle Paul was convinced that the gospel, the good news, especially of who jesus christ is and what he has done was the power of god to salvation for everyone who believes now sometimes we think the apostle paul at least perhaps we're tempted to think that he was somewhat of a simpleton that he was a one beat band he only had one message he went from town to town city to city synagogue to synagogue preaching station to preaching station And his one sermon was, this is who Jesus Christ is. He is the Messiah. He fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. Now, therefore, repent and believe. And that is the essence of his apostolic preaching. But the Apostle Paul was not a simpleton. He was well-educated. He had studied underneath the premier instructor of Judaism, Gamaliel. He knew the times in which he lived. He would have been able if he had so chosen to interact with the intellectuals on their own ground, to go toe-to-toe, so to speak, with the philosophers of his day. But he purposefully chose not to. And why? It wasn't because he was unable... To go toe to toe with the philosophers of his day. It wasn't because he was unable, on the other hand, to give 10 lists of practical tips to make your Mondays through Wednesdays easier. He could have done that also. But he purposefully chose to focus upon the gospel, the good news, because he understood it was the power of God unto salvation. And sadly, many a church, I believe, is distracted. Distracted away from a simple proclamation of the gospel. And they fall into one of two ditches, perhaps the one ditch being the attempt to be culturally relevant uh, to the academias of the day. To have some street credit, so to speak, when it comes to philosophy. When it comes to the deep things, when it comes to the ponderings that fill up the individuals who spend their times studying, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. The ditch on the other side of the road that many fall into is the ditch of practicality. And many a person comes with an itching ear and says, just give me something practical. And what exactly do they mean by that? Give me something that I can apply to the practice of my everyday life. Some band-aid fix it uh, to the mess that I find myself in. But the Apostle Paul steered clear of both ditches. And he said, when I come, I'm going to come with a simple message, the message of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, of His incarnation, of His death, of His burial, of His resurrection, of His ascension, of the fact that He sits on the right hand And that he comes to judge the living and the dead. And notice that this is the mystery of God. So if the philosophers want some deep mystery, the Apostle Paul could have said, here is the deepest mystery, that God was incarnate. And if an individual wants something practical for their life, I ask what is more practical than the power of God unto salvation? What is more practical than a solid understanding of how a person can be right with God and have peace with God and have peace within their conscience. What is more practical than to know how your sins can be forgiven and how you can receive the blessing of life forevermore? And see, the spotlight will be shown onto the instrument of faith when we understand that it is the soul, the only exclusive instrument by which we come to benefit from the power of God to salvation. Because it is only this gospel that brings salvation from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. And all of humanity's problems, all of life's conundrums, in one way or another, are drawn back to the ultimate source of our sin. Now, that is not the same. Please don't misunderstand me. That is not the same as saying that you have a bad Tuesday because of some particular sin you committed on a Monday. But gener- generally speaking, the misery that we so often are forced to bemoan in life is the result Of living in a fallen world and what is the antidote what is the remedy for life in a fallen world it's the good news the gospel the good news of what god has done in and through the lord jesus christ but you see that good news while it is universally proclaimed to any and all who hear and so perhaps we're the odd one, but sometimes you, you see a, a large venue filled with people and you think, wouldn't it be absolutely wonderful if we were given a five-minute interlude just simply to proclaim the gospel to all of those people? Just say, I know in the midst of the busyness of human life there's a lot going on, but just stop for five minutes because we have good news to proclaim. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the power of God unto salvation. But while this is universally proclaimed, it is not universally received. And John Calvin, of course, again, one of uh, the Protestant reformers used mightily by God, uh, he emphasizes this in his institutes when he says all of the blessings of Christ profit us nothing. And I paraphrase, and not a direct quote, until they are received by faith. And the importance of faith is understood when we begin to see our need of the gospel and the glory of the gospel and the wonder of the gospel, but then also begin to spiritually perceive the only way to receive those infinite benefits is through faith. Just like, boys and girls, if I were to write you a check, I know that's not very popular now, you send money electronically and everything else, but if I were to write you a check, say $100,000, and I were to give you that check, and I were to say, this is your money as soon as you get to the bank, Now, I'm going to guess, boys and girls, you're not really that worried about going to the bank tomorrow, but you would be if I had just given you a $100,000 check. I'm pretty sure you would wake your mom or dad up and say, Monday morning, we have to go to the bank. So, so many people just pass by without hardly a thought about the importance of faith. Until the Spirit illuminates their mind and their heart, and they begin to understand this is the only way to receive the benefits of Christ, which I so desperately need. The importance of faith is that it is the only instrument, the only way to receive the gospel of salvation. It's the only way to be saved— And here again, I haven't had the opportunity, maybe sometime I will have the opportunity to go on a cruise ship, so I'm just speaking hypothetically. But I imagine if you are going on a cruise, especially now that some of the pandemic regulations are lifted and you go to experience an enjoyable time and you you get on your cruise ship and you begin to look around and, and see what types of amenities they have, I would guess, unless perhaps you are somewhat fearful, I would guess you don't really look very carefully at the life preservers. If you get a pamphlet of a cruise line i don't think they put on the front page we have the best life preservers in the industry but if a ship begins to sink oh, then the importance of the life preservers becomes clearly evident and so it is with faith many a person sails along the course of their lives thinking everything is just absolutely fine No need to consider faith. That's impractical. Until your eyes are opened and you understand apart from faith, the ship is sinking. And so I just want to ask you tonight, is faith important to you? Important to you personally? If it is important, then... Indeed, it's something that we want to know all about, and that brings us into our second point, the nature of faith. And time again hastens on, allow us just simply to say, and we we borrow the structure that is summarized in our Heidelberg Catechism when it asks, what is true faith? True faith has at least these two aspects in it, a knowledge and a confidence in the gospel. A knowledge of the good news. Faith is not only a knowledge, but it is a knowledge. It's more than just knowledge, but it it includes a certain knowledge. A, A certainty. And I want to emphasize that, especially to the young people, because you are living in a time in which doubt is celebrated. Uncertainty is congratulated. You know, in a former day, if a person was to stand and with some sense of confidence, say, "I know this to be absolutely true," there would have been a sense of appeal about that. Now the appeal is, if a person stands and says, "I know nothing, and I'm absolutely certain that I know nothing." Oh, how the masses of the young people clap their hands, at least figuratively speaking, and they say, "Now here is an enlightened soul that we can listen to and follow. It's a lie. Faith is not doubt, not uncertainty, not ignorance, but a certain knowledge of objective realities as those objective realities are revealed to us in the Word of God, especially concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so some may complain and say, well, doctrinal teaching is cold and it's boring and it's not relevant. Well, if it is cold and boring, uh, that's the fault of the one teaching or preaching that doctrine, or perhaps the hearer whose ears are stopped to the things of God. Because the wonder of the incarnation, the eternal Son of God in the fullness of time taking our human nature unto Himself is not cold nor boring, nor is it impractical. These things we must know. What was the great question that Jesus presented to His disciples, especially to Simon Peter, Who do you say that I am? And that question comes to all of us. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Is He just a good moral teacher? A cultural influencer of His day? Or is He something more? With certainty, we say He is certainly something more. He is fully God. And at the Incarnation, also fully man. Two natures, one person. Both natures vitally important and necessary for the work of redemption. So that the human nature can bear upon its shoulders as a mediator the curse of God against sin. And that the divine nature might sustain the human nature, empowering the human nature to proclaim triumphantly at the end of the sufferings on the cross, it is finished. And if you take away one of those natures, you take away all of the good news. And then there's no reason for us to ever gather together again. Then live, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we all die. But we know these things with the certainty of faith. And let the skeptics and let the critics laugh, mock, ridicule. But let us echo the words of Martin Luther and say, here we stand. Our consciences are bound by the Word of God. I cannot believe anything else about Jesus Christ other than what the Word of God reveals. Here is our hope for time and for eternity. A knowledge that also then has a certain confidence. And we talked about this last Sunday evening when we introduced ourselves to that grand overarching theme of the Heidelberg Catechism what is your only comfort? And that word is not just a, a plush pillow, you know, that you might find comfort for a weary body. That word is strength, fortitude, confidence. Now, the reality is that oftentimes we are plagued with spiritual weakness. Hebrews talks about this, doesn't it? The hands that hang down and the knees that grow feeble and weak, like an exhausted person, maybe after a full day of physical labor maybe after a grueling workout uh, in the gym underneath the exercise equipment, maybe just under the stress of life. We know what it is to have feeble knees and hands that hang down, but we also know what it is to have that spiritually. But even in the midst of that experience, those doubts, those anxieties, which Martin Luther also had, And this is the paradox of the Christian life. Martin Luther could stand with an Elijah-like moment and say, here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. But then he could also fall into severe bouts of spiritual depression. Like Elijah running. Running in front of the chariot, and then when confronted with the wrath of Jezebel, running to the desert, saying, it is enough. I just want to die. But the paradox of the Christian faith is that even in those times of spiritual fatigue, the soul of faith still beats on. Here is my confidence in the gospel, and the power of God unto salvation. And I don't have a perfect understanding of why there are seasons, seasons of doubt, seasons of weariness, but isn't part of the reason because those seasons are the seasons in which we are drawn to rest upon the power of God most exclusively? when we are reminded in a powerful way that we don't have any power. It's at that moment when we echo most clearly the note that the Apostle Paul tunes us to sing. We don't have any power, but God has all the power, the power of God unto salvation. I want to ask you tonight a most practical question, do you have spiritual confidence? Do you have spiritual confidence that is derived from Christ alone? These five solas we mentioned, they're all interconnected. The person who is committed to the authority of the Word of God alone is the person who understands. The exclusivity of Christ as mediator alone is the person who then lives by faith alone. Tonight I want to call you lovingly, pastorally, to examine yourself. The Apostle Paul also gave that command, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Are you in the faith? Notice that I didn't ask Are you in the church pew? I didn't ask, are you in the church role? And that's not to neglect the importance of those things, but that's not automatically a correlation to, are you in the faith? Personally, you yourself, do you live by faith? Do you have a knowledge of who the triune God is and especially the person and work of Jesus Christ and do you have confidence in the work that he has done alone if so then you know something of the nature of faith and the importance of faith but if not if not if you don't have faith all of the benefits of Christ are not yet yours And so, I would say to anyone who hears these words, who finds themselves in that situation, today is still the day of salvation. So I can tell you today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved no matter who you are. Old, young, rich, poor, in the biblical words here, Jew, Gentile. But I cannot give you any promises for tomorrow. That's not to scare anyone. That's not some type of emotional, manipulative statement. It's just simple, a biblical truth. Today is the day of salvation, so today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because that alone brings the benefit of faith. And our third point, and the benefit of faith, the power of God unto salvation. This salvation includes the imputation of righteousness, and this salvation is the way of life. The studies of Martin Luther brought him to know two truths most experientially. What do I mean when I use that word experientially? He in his very person knew two truths most powerfully. He knew that God was a righteous God. And he knew that he, that is himself, Martin Luther, Not only had sinned, he knew that, but he went even deeper and he knew he was a sinner. And the experiential awareness of those two realities drove him to exhaust all of the avenues that the Roman Catholic Church presented as means to find peace with God. He exhausted them. He did everything that the church told him to do. And it granted him no peace it just increased his fear and his dread of god he said at one point love god how can i love a god who would damn me but then he came to the study of the scripture text that is before us and he came to understand that the gospel is the power of god to salvation for in it the righteousness of god is revealed And he came to understand that this righteousness of God was an imputed righteousness. It was not a righteousness that he himself, Martin Luther, had to produce or attain. He came to be freed from the burden, the soul-drowning burden of works righteousness, of moralism. And this false teaching, this dangerous, dreadful error, always tries to squeeze back into the church. Continually it tries to get in so that there's this idea, well, if only we do this, if only we do that, if only we try a little harder, if only we do a little bit better, then we'll be right with God. My dear, here, you can never do enough. You can never try hard enough to ever obtain peace with God. But the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to. Because the righteousness of God is an imputed righteousness. That is, it is a credited righteousness that has been obtained by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you ask for something practical, here's something practical, double imputation. You say, well, that phrase just completely lost me. That's okay. I'll explain the phrase as simply as I know how. My sin transferred onto the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, perfect obedience, transferred onto me. So that God now as the judge in His righteous holiness looks upon me and sees no sin, and sees perfect righteousness because of that double transfer, and therefore says, because of that double transfer, received by faith in Jesus Christ, justified in full perfect conformity to the law, and what better message could there be for a person whose spiritually speaking knees are weak and hands are hanging down, justified, right with God? I've quoted it many, many a times, and I think I've given the backstory to why the verse is so powerful in my mind. Romans 5 verse 1 comes to my mind again and again and again. Now, all of Scripture is inspired and profitable, but Romans 5 verse 1 really summarizes the gospel of justification by faith in a most powerful statement. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the benefit. Why is faith so important? Because it is the only way in which a person is right with God. And that's why it is the way of life. What do I mean by the way of life? Faith is not something that you just have once, not just some experience at a Bible camp in your teenage years, not just something that you profess once. Upon the conclusion of catechism class, faith is the daily activity of the Christian. The just, they live from faith to faith, daily, continually. They're born spiritually with the exercise of faith. They live their earthly pilgrimage, as Hebrews 11 speaks of, looking forward to things that The eyes cannot see. And what is the only way to die? With the exercise of faith. Holding on firmly with a knowledge and a confidence to who Jesus Christ is and what He has done. And so, congregation, let us also never be ashamed of the gospel let us never be ashamed to be Christ-focused, Christocentric. Let us never be ashamed of identifying man's great plight, his sin and his sinfulness. Let us never be ashamed of proclaiming God as He truly is in all of His glorious attributes, and let us never be ashamed of holding fast to the gospel by the simple exercise of faith. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of salvation. Uh, We humbly ask that You would give us a renewed appreciation for the work of You in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we also have renewed understanding and renewed appreciation for the instrument of faith alone as the instrument by which we receive all of the benefits of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that through tonight's exercises that our faith might be increased and might be strengthened. Lord, we pray, too, that as Your Word has gone forth, that it would not return unto You void. And so, with a holy zeal, Father, would You use Your Word to bring maybe just one individual to the initial exercise of repentance and faith. Uh, But if it is Your will, may it be more than just one. Uh, we cast our bread upon the waters, and now we wait, and we pray that your powerful working would bring about the result of an increase in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. To your name's honor, we pray. Amen. For our song.